Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. Today, we're going to talk about gambling, but it's not the gambling you are most likely thinking about. Throughout the course of this project and interacting with folks all across the world about Christian anarchism, I have come across many folks who make me think, and these folks I consider good friends. Today is no different. I am excited to speak with Paul Perial about an article he wrote about gambling. Paul, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, Craig. I'm uh, doing well. Thank you for having me on. So as we were talking earlier, this is actually my first ever podcast as a guest on any podcast. So thank you. You know, you mentioned that to me before we started recording. It really surprised me because when I see you on social media, when I see the things you're putting down on social media, you have a decent following. You have a lot of interaction with folks on, on social media. And the fact that this is the first time you've been on a podcast, I feel kind of privileged. I feel kind of honored to have you even more now. Like I've always, I've been wanting to get you on the show. And you put this piece out there that you wrote. I was like, all right, if I get him on the show, let's talk about this, because this is going to fit nicely into what we're trying to do leading into the midterms in America about voting. Like I said in the intro, we're going to talk about gambling, but not the type of gambling that people want to hear gambling. They're not even thinking about what Paul wrote down in this article. So it's very surprising to me that this is your first podcast to be on. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, in the past, quite a few people have asked that. Uh, as I, I, I've mentioned to some folks that I've received a few invites. I might be a little old school in the sense that I, I like writing. I started writing mainly for my own sake, just to clarify thoughts to myself. And then uh, it turned out that people wanted to think outside the box, wanted to think outside the narrative. And so started reading what I had to write. And Perhaps the last two years accelerated all of that <laughs> to, to a level that I couldn't imagine before. Well, I'm kind of curious, too. I mean, first of all, give us a little background of yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself before we go any further, because I think even if folks that who listen to the Bad Roman Project, the podcast, follow the project, may be familiar with you because you interact in these same Christian anarchist circles that I interact with. But just in case they're not familiar, tell us a little bit about yourself so they kind of know who Paul is. Sounds great. Yeah, definitely. So I am originally from India, and uh, I was born in India. I'm the oldest of three uh, siblings in total. My parents uh, are from a Christian background in India. Some of you may or may not know. Uh, Christianity is, of course, even formally a minority religion in India. And so... Uh, when I was about three years old, my parents got an opportunity to Im immigrate to the Middle East. This was a, actually a part of a whole movement of uh, young professionals moving from India and Pakistan, Bangladesh, etc. in the 70s and 80s to the Middle East because there was a lot of employment there with the oil economy booming. So 
when I was three, that's when I moved. My sisters uh, were born, um, you know, in, in the Middle East, specifically the, our country we were in was, was Saudi Arabia. And so my, the entirety of my childhood was actually spent in Saudi Arabia. So the, during my child, childhood, the only interactions I've had uh, in India were the Christmas holidays when we, as a family, we would go back to India to you know, visit the grandparents and the cousins and sort of uh, visit families, spend Christmas there, et cetera. So that's, that, that was my childhood. You know, I, I went to school, graduated high school in Saudi Arabia. And then I moved back to India for four years uh, to do college. And then in 2004 is when I moved to the United States as a graduate student in computer science to pursue my PhD at the University of Illinois at Chicago. 2011, I moved to the Bay Area in California to start uh, work. I started working for a startup and then I've been in tech ever since and still continue to work as a software engineer in tech. So that's sort of a quick summary of the story there. So let me ask you this then, because this is this is something that I was asking folks very early on in the, in the podcast is to kind of get their path to anarchy as a Christian. Okay, so like we can we can talk about Christian uh, anarchism. We can talk about anarchism on the secular side of it. But when it comes to the Christian side of it, that's what we focus on with the Bad Roman podcast. You know, so, you know, it's, it's interesting to get that kind of perspective from folks who might be listening, who are like, Craig, would you just shut up? and let the guests talk sometimes because we want to hear what they have to say because they're not always going to agree with what Craig has to say because Craig's pretty outspoken, pretty, pretty bold. And just like Paul is very, very outspoken about some of this stuff, but I'm really kind of curious how you went from all that to starting to understand Christian anarchy. And we'll, we'll get into your article here in a little bit, but I'm really kind of curious how you got to Christian anarchism. What, what led you to that? Definitely. So, so one thing I, you know, in my childhood, you know, growing up in Saudi Arabia, sort of our religious upbringing, we were brought up as Christians in in somewhat a of a non-denominational evangelical type uh, setting, and that was uh, most of the reality of my faith even into the twenties and even as I came into the United States. So, you'd imagine. So I'm 21 years old. I I, I land in Chicago uh, for graduate school. This is 2004, and uh, this is also about the time I'm slowly beginning to uh, reach or think about political matters or, or get, get into a political awakening. So, well, of course, you know, I, I, as an evangelical Christian, I knew I was uh, at least pro-life and pro-everything what the evangelical side had to say on moral issues. And therefore, I looked around and I saw two options, the Republicans, the Dem- Democrats. And, <laughs> and uh, so I was like, OK, so I'm pro-life. So I'm, I'm uh, here I am fresh off the boat, and I'm a Republican. I'm not even a US, <laughs> not even a US citizen, but I'm like, I have my Bush flag on. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, we need to love America, God bless America. I, was, I got into all of that real quick in like six months. So <laughs> That's very similar to, well, I didn't just get off the boat, but I, I was very, it's how I got into voting because George Bush, pro-life. I'm a Republican all of a sudden because of pro-life, you know? So, but it, that's funny that, you just got into the states, and you're pro-life. I was like, "Well, we're going to vote for George Bush." Then what happened? What nine months later? <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't quite nine months, but uh, you know, there was always a part of me which I, I knew my support for the GOP was more of a a, a tribalism thing. You know, it's, uh, it's it wasn't well thought out. And there was always a logical part of part of me that was always pricking me. I, I tried to suppress it. 
I successfully suppressed it for three years, but then the Tea Party happened in 2008. And uh, there was a guy called Ron Paul. Maybe some of you know about him. <laughs> uh, that's tongue in cheek. But anyway, my roommate, uh, he happened to be a, uh, a former Democrat, but then he, he became the leader of the college Republicans at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And he basically, I asked him, so, hey, man, who, what's this Ron Paul thing? You know, And he basically told me, oh, he's, he, he's just a cook. You can ignore him. You, you go to church, don't you? So you, you need to look into Santorum. <laughs> so, I, so I did because I trusted my roommate. But, you know, fortunately, maybe a few weeks after that, I started reading what he had to say about the Fed, about the military industrial complex, uh, about uh, regulatory capture of the big corporations. And my mind was blown. Everything that was pricking me over the last three years, sort of the logical inconsistency of my own beliefs, the pieces started falling into place. And so that began the journey into libertarianism, at least, or political libertarianism. And, you know, uh, you know, of course, people make the joke about six months from there to anarchism. Um, for me, I, I, I was kicking and screaming for a few years after that, but uh, I couldn't stop reading. And um, again, to cut a long story short, I started reading about anarchism from a variety of sources. At this point, uh, let's say getting into 2012, 2013, I wasn't even aware of Christian anarchism. I thought this is like, man, I've, I've, I found something that is so logically and morally pleasing, but nobody in the church is talking about this. So I better hide this. I better be in the closet about this. So I, I, and I thought there's no one out there to fellowship with. So I kind of lived out my, let's say, proto-anarchism in the closet for a few years after that. You will, you, you might find this funny too, because when I start when I discovered Christian anarchism, I've mentioned it before on the show is I was kind of like you, like I discovered something that I thought I was the only one that knew anything about it. And I was involved with this. You know who Dave Ramsey is? Yes. The uh, financial guy. So I was involved with one of his uh, Facebook groups. And they don't talk about politics. They don't allow politics in the, in the thread. But somehow it happened. And I'm like, you know what? I'm a Christian and I'm an anarchist because I understand how they kind of align with each other. And somebody, I, can't, I don't know who it was, tagged me and, and tagged me into and told me, check out Anarcho-Christian. And then I found Anarcho-Christian. And I realized, oh, I'm not alone. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, because I thought I was going insane. <laughs> like, I discovered something new. And then fast forward, I started studying about the early church. And you start understanding the early church and how they were anarchists. Jesus was an anarchist, right? Nobody wants to talk about that, right? But they didn't call themselves anarchists. They just practiced it. They didn't run around calling themselves anarchists. Like we, we use that label like I'm an anarchist because it's a trigger, you know, but they just practiced the belief. That word didn't even exist then, but they just practiced it. Exactly. And I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, hold uh, what, you, what you just said, that uh, they didn't even have the label anarchist because it, it was just an obvious part of being a Christian. It's almost, you know, I use an analogy. I tell people who are new to this now, I tell them, do you go around and tell people that, you're a virgin birthist or a <laughs> do you make a huge uh, fuss about, you know what, I believe the virgin birth and preach that from the street corners? Probably not, because probably most people who follow Christ believe that already. Um, so, you know, it's just that we have lost the core message of the gospel 
and how the kingdom of God interacts with the kingdoms of the world. And so therefore, now we need to make up this label, which is just essentially a label for one important facet of the Christian faith. But here we are. Well, it's something that I've noticed recently, you know, in the past few weeks, past couple months, whatever, that the idea of anarchy escapes even anarchists sometimes. Okay, and that, and I, and I think I derived that from a lot of. I, I can see the same thing that what you're what you're saying online, because I think you're saying it, but you go about it a little bit different than I do. Like, I'm like, oh, oh, hang on a second. Why don't we call ourselves an anarchist? You just said it, Paul. We're just Christians. So why don't why do we feel the need to use that term anarchy? Because it's a trigger. Because it, it gets people to asking questions, or at the same time, it just it just makes us look like we're crazy. Well, we can call ourselves a Christian, but also that term brings a whole lot of baggage when it comes to Christianity these days. Because a lot of folks are like, "What is what? What is a Christian?" Because you see a lot of Christians acting unChristlike. Exactly. You know, there's this analogy even in the third and fourth centuries when the when the church is struggling with Arianism and the nature of Christ as fully God and fully man, it would then make sense to say, I am an anti-Arianist. But now it's just obvious. I mean, we, we accept that Christ is fully God and fully man. So, you know, to say that I'm an anti-Arianist now is besides the point. I think what has happened is uh, we have lost the central message of the gospel. So those of us who are recognizing that, uh, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, have to use this label to emphasize what that facet is. Yeah. Have you ever noticed, though, too, and it was a video that Larkin Rose put out right after this this documentary started with the, uh, you know, the anarchists on HBO. And he put out this video prior to that leading up to when he's talking about what an anarchist is. And he used anarcho-communism, anarcho-pacifism. And when he went into anarcho-pacifism, I was like, hang on a second, because I think he's fixing to start digging on something that I'm gonna, I'm going to disagree with because... I agree with Larkin Rose on a lot of things. It's the same thing I agree with Lysander Spooner on a lot of things, which we can get into with your article here too. But there's some things that I don't agree with. And it's not because Larkin Rose is not Jesus. Lysander Spooner is not Jesus. Tolstoy was not Jesus. So it's okay to find some, um, and Paul in the Bible was not Jesus. So it's okay to find some conflict here or disagreement. It's okay. It's okay to find some disagreement because we're all trying to work through this ourselves and try to figure it out at some point. And I've gotten so frustrated with the anarchist community because it's lost its feel, the, the same feel I had for it when I first understood anarchy. And the longer I've been an anarchist now at the time of this recording for about four years, going on five years along the way, I'm like, man, I don't even know if I want to use that term anymore. <laughs> Because it doesn't seem to mean anything to anybody. But getting back to what Larkin Rose said about anarcho-pacifism, what he was doing is trying to call out people that were not actual anarchists. I'm like, all right, okay, maybe I'm not a real anarchist, but I'm a Christian. And if it it disqualifies me as being an anarchist to just follow Jesus Christ, no king but Christ, then you can keep your anarchy and I'll follow Jesus. Because that is more important to me than following your anarchy. Amen. Yeah, so... You know, we use this slogan, no king but Christ, and I like it um, because it essentially communicates everything we want to communicate about the gospel. And, you know, it's a challenge to us and to whoever we're talking to. The fact that it also implies anarchism is, 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 
you know, I guess for us, it's logically obvious uh, looking back, but uh, to complete, uh, you know, you mentioned Larkin Rose. So I guess to complete the story of what happened in 2013 to now, uh, Larkin Rose, uh, Robert Higgs, a little bit of Jeffrey Tucker, the uh, folks from the Mises Institute at that time, were actually quite instrumental in introducing me to Lysander Spooner as well as Rothbard. And, you know, the more I studied these ideas, the, 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 the more I had this feeling of how are they preaching moral truth and why am I not hearing this in church or even in church circles or just larger Christian circles? So I had the sense of like, man, uh, it, it was dissonance, right? And so, you know, fellowship always helps. And I guess like you, I found Anarcho-Christian, the group, the Facebook group in 2017. And I was like, wow, there's a bunch of people here and they're not all agreed on even Christian doctrines. They're, <laughs> there's Catholics and Orthodox, and of course, a whole variety of Protestants, Reformed and otherwise. So it's quite encouraging to see at least, okay, at the very least, we are agreed on the anarchist outlook. So that was very encouraging. So that brings us to almost where we are today. Yeah, and listen, I, I, I'm very appreciative of the, the that group because, like I said, while ago, I felt like I was alone. I just discovered something new that I had to run out and tell everybody. But there's already people out there talking about it. And the more this has gone, what, what I love about it is the, the, the longer this has gone on, is there seem to be more and more people latching on to it, even if they're not a Christian. Okay, so I've, I've, got, a, I've got a lot of friends online that are not Christians, but they're starting to understand the idea of self-rule. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Type, you know, mentality. And so I, so that's encouraging to me. That's what I love about anarchy is because there's, if you could just get to back to the basics, and it's the same way I handle Christianity. Get back to the basics of the teachings of Christ. Everything else falls into place. It's the same thing with anarchy. And I did this. I had this question, or no, there was a question in our discussion group the other day about anarchism. Somebody who is not an anarchist, but he has a question about it. I commented, I said, where secular anarchists can't answer these questions that you're asking, Christian anarchists can because Jesus already answered them for us. It's already there. And I think if we just go along that route, then it will be understood better as anarchy. But at the same time, as Larkin Rose said in that video, he prefers voluntarism. He prefers, and I, I'm getting there. Like I use anarchism as a trigger, right? But I'm understanding when I talk to Christians, it's easier to say voluntarism because it doesn't it doesn't trigger in their brain. Oh, chaos! Exactly, and uh, you know, unfortunately, especially in the culture here, in the, in the let's say the right leaning uh, Christian culture or quote in quotes, uh, there's this identification of patriotism or nationalism uh, with you know, being a good citizen be, and practicing your faith in a, in a good and proper way, unfortunately. So, and so again, anarchy, the word could trigger in that respect too. Yeah. You're in the Pacific Northwest and I'm in Tennessee, right? So there was something that came across my feed the other day on Facebook about Tennessee. Vote early, Tennessee. You can vote early. And I just comment because I know it's not going to, it's, <laughs> it's going to make people laugh at me and that's okay i'm hoping somebody comments so i can go into some early church quotes and be like oh what about this what about this what about nobody commented but i got all i said was no thanks i'm a christian i don't want to vote i'm a christian and i got nothing but laugh reacts on it 
which is fine. I get that all the time. It rolls right off my back. I don't care. Like water on the duck's back. Now, just comment, respond to it, and let's have a let's let's have some dialogue about this. And if I'm wrong, I have no problem being wrong. Show me where I'm wrong. Let's do it. And that's what I love about you so much, Paul. Is it? It seems like you you make these posts on on Facebook. It's like our friend Talia said. It's like he's poking the bear. I'm like, of course he's poking the bear, but he's saying some things to get people to think. And it's what we try to do with this with this project. It just think about it for a second. Don't go into it with any kind of bias, which is not going to happen. Everybody's going to have their bias on this stuff, right? So, but just think about it for a second and think about what Paul's saying in his post and think about what he's saying in this article that we're fixing to get into. One quick thing you mentioned there about, you know, non-Christians paying attention to these conversations and these sort of, sort of messages, right? You know, I, I think the the biggest tragedy in the church, or at least in the official, what is seen as the church, is the idea, the central idea that we lost this picture of no king but Christ. And we have gotten into bed with the state. And this is not just a Western phenomenon. I've seen this in the Eastern Christian world as well. It's everywhere. Uh, Wherever Christianity has gotten into bed with the powers that be, we have compromised our message. And people can see through that. And when you talk, talk to a lot of atheists or agnostics, their issue with the church is, that it, it does not uh, coincide with their basic sense of human morality. And God has gifted all of us, whether we're in the church or not, whether we're Christian or not, with a basic human conscience, moral conscience. And uh, people reject the church because of issues that the church has. And so then it's not surprising them to, to see that they are coming back when they see this message of what? Oh, so you don't condone violence or you don't condone domination or you don't condone political domination over others. So that's a surprising but true message that's bringing people back into the conversation. Hey folks, Craig here, and I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors had no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page. And you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. What we're going to do right now is we're going to walk through your article. I'm going to pull it up on my phone. If you see me looking at my phone, I'm not ignoring you, but I, because I'm, I'm reading this as we're talking. And like I mentioned in the very beginning, that this is a short read, but it's straight and to the point. And I don't want to say it's my favorite part of the article, but it's the title. <laughs> the title was great. It said, do you believe gambling is a vice? I don't think you do. And that's got to be an attention grabber to folks when they're like, well, what's he talking about then? If it's not a vice, what are you talking about? Tell me a little bit as of what what kind of got you in the mindset of wanting to write this down. Because like I said, you, you like to poke the bear a little bit, get people thinking. The title alone gets pe- should get people thinking. So if it's me and Paul just having a conversation and I see something Paul says, it's like, yeah, I get it. I mean, I know what Paul, where Paul's going with this. 
But if you get somebody like um, that's not fully on board with what we're talking about, they see this and it's, it's attention grabbing. You know, you, you guessed it. There's a point here. Um, it's to grab the attention of a specific kind of audience. And so since I see sort of our evangelical or right-leaning circles as my main audience, because that's my home crowd, right? Um, and, you know, you mentioned Dave Ramsey before and financial stewardship and responsibility. And so it's sort of an accepted premise that there's a bunch of vices in terms of financial vices and gambling is considered to be a, a financial vice. Everyone's, you know, every pastor, no, no one would shy away from saying, hey, don't gamble. So then, you know, I, I asked this question to say, do you believe gambling is a vice? Now, of course, the uh, it's a surprising point that I could make is I don't I don't believe it is a vice. But the point I make is, I don't think you do. So I'm addressing it to people who think that they believe gambling is a vice, and I'm trying to challenge them. Let's talk about that. Do you really think gambling is a vice or a sin, right, as, as Christians call it? And I want to challenge you a bit on that. So that's the title. And you talk about in this article about how there's, there's a loser in gambling, but in gambling and the gambling, what we're talking about prior to voting there's a winner and it's always a house. Yes. So, so the analogy there, so, you know, a, a very basic gamble is like you and I, we can get together and uh, vote on who's going to win the football game this weekend or something like that. And so one of, one of us is going to win and the other, other, the other person loses in the exact sum of money. However, the more commonly when people go to Vegas or uh, go to a casino, the kind of gambling that happens is one where most of the participants mostly lose, and they frequently lose, but some of them win big. And so that uh, it serves as some sort of a dopamine high to keep everyone interested. The only party who wins that kind of gambling, which I call house gambling, as opposed to one-on-one, -on -one, the only party who wins that are the bookmakers or the casino or the house. And so the point I'm trying to make is gambling in, in its purest, simplest sense is already a vice because... You produce nothing. You know, if you and I gamble, uh, it's not a business arrangement where we produce some wealth in the world. It's, it's a situation where, based on pure luck, one of us is poorer. And I, I don't think that's a, a uh, there's nothing godly or sanctifying about that act activity when you impoverish someone. Uh, not based on work, not based on producing something, but just based on <laughs> a dice throw. But something much worse than that is the situation where of casino or house gambling where most of the participants mostly lose. Uh, and then the house, so people who organize this charade or game uh, always win. So that's the point I was trying to make there before I got into voting. I'm going to read just this paragraph that you wrote in this article. It says, but did you know that there's something far worse than gambling with one's money? I can wager wink <laughs> that you're likely a person that engages in these this worst form of gambling on a dangerously regular basis this form of gamble is not even zero sum like casino gambling this form of gambling has a house and the house always win and the items you wagered are your very own lives and liberties so this is what i love how you how you brought this together when like if you read the title about gambling, oh yeah, gambling's a sin. Let's get in. Let's just read what Paul has to say about gambling because it's a sin. You know, you're you're wasting away your money. You know, gambling's fun, right? It might be fun for some folks, and it at the end somebody else loses. But 
what you're doing with voting, you're gambling away your liberties and freedoms and security. The idea that people go and vote because they think that they're going to retrieve some of that that freedom that they lost through the state is asinine at this point. It has to be even the most status person we know should even recognize this right now. What are you doing? Why are you taking your your time to encourage the beast? Why are you taking the time to legitimize the beast? And I tick on the Libertarian Party all the time when it comes to this stuff. I do. And like I love how you use libertarianism in, in some of your posts because you equate it to a philosophy. But if we're talking to somebody on the outside that's not familiar, they equate it to a libertarian a, a party, a political party. It's one thing to talk about libertarianism. It's another thing to try to vote people into office because you think you're going to retrieve some some freedoms that you've already lost. So, yeah, and we can get into that and the specifics of the libertarian politics. But to get into the basic point I wanted to make there was, you know, what is voting? Voting is, so, you know, obviously the house, what I'm trying to describe there is the state, what we call the beast or the state. And it says, okay, guys, come along. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take your lives and liberties away. But some of you, uh, based on who wins this election, some of you have the chance of not having as much of your liberties taken away. We'll let you participate with us in, the, in sort of the ruling end of this deal. All of you are going to lose, but some of you get a chance to not lose as much. So come and play. And, and so then, you know, fear and um, uh, just the human psychology of fear takes over. I've noticed that a lot with folks who keep running back to the polls to vote. I've talked to liberals who hate Joe Biden, can't stand him, doesn't even believe he's still alive. And I'm talking about family members who are liberals talking about this. And I'm like, why did you vote then? Why did you vote for him? Well, he wasn't Donald Trump. It was the same thing that Trump, when Trump got elected, it, he wasn't Hillary Clinton. I said, so basically you're voting out of fear. There's no principle behind it. Don't tell me that there's not 12 other people on the ballot that you could vote for. Because the last time I voted was 2016. There were 12 people I could select from. 12. I didn't select the top two. I didn't even select the Libertarian ticket. I'm not a Gary Johnson guy. I was not going to be a Gary Johnson guy. <laughs> I went extreme third party with the Constitution Party, right? And I voted. This is the last time I voted. It's like, all right, so I feel like I've, that's the last time I ever voted. And it's the only time I ever felt good about voting because I knew he wasn't going to win. But I knew that he was at least talking about the Constitution that these folks were an oath to. Nobody else is talking about that. Hell, Donald Trump said in 2016 with Mike Pence sitting right next to him, the Constitution is not always relevant. Oh, okay, Republicans, where are you at right now? Does that not bother you? And then in debates with Joe Biden, abortion is not even on the ballot. Where, where are you at, Republicans? I don't know if it's frustrating or infuriating because it, it, it's like everybody's lost all principles and they're voting on a popular, popularity contest right now. Or they're voting out of fear because they're afraid of this other guy. And these liberals have told me this. We don't like Joe Biden, but he wasn't Donald Trump. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel that. That doesn't mean you had to vote for him. And uh, yeah, I, I, you, yeah, from either side of the political spectrum, pe even people who say, yes, we're going to lose our liberties. 
The state, you know, state has never shrunk in any part of the world, in any part of point of history. It has only, it has only ever grown or collapsed. So uh, even people who admit that we're going to lose our liberties ultimately say, well, uh, what are you going to do? You know, you, you got to take the chance. Unfortunately, taking that chance and sort of fall, succumbing to that fear is exactly the thing that keeps the house growing. Right. And this is what I've been trying to explain to folks this entire time. I was like, you don't like them. You don't like them. Like, would you would you spend time with your neighbor if you didn't like them? I mean, Jesus told us to love our neighbor and our enemy, right? I get all that. But why are you working to put somebody in power that you know is a piece of crap? <laughs> exactly. I could have used all kinds of other words right there, but I was being very nice with my wording right there. A piece of crap. Yeah. Why Why are you doing that? It doesn't make any sense to me at this point. And maybe it's because I've woken up to it. And I think if people looked at this honestly, if you sat down and looked at it honestly, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. What are you doing when you go to the polls? Are you going because it's your duty? I used to say that. It's your civic duty to go vote. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that not the most absurd thing you've ever heard? You know, uh, here, here's another clue. I, I try to clue in, let's say, conservatives because I, I live in the in the left coast, and uh, I put my emphasis on conservatives because I feel like I can make a dent at least with my home crowd. But I, I tell them this simple thing: like, I've, you know, if, if you spend time in the left coast, Cal- I spend time in California and Seattle. They never tell you to vote for the Democrats, so they never tell you to vote for a particular, especially in corporate settings. I work in the corporate settings, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, and they all they say is, go vote. It's sort of this religious mantra. And then they have the stickers, like, you know, a little kid gets stickers after they get their shots, which, by the way, that's another topic. <laughs> they come back with the stickers and say, I voted. <laughs> and nowhere do they tell you, go vote for the left party, because the elites have decided it doesn't matter. The, for the elites, and for the house, for the beast, all that matters is people show up so that they can create this aura or extend this aura of legitimacy, which they don't really have. But the more you participate, the more this aura of the legitimacy of the beast grows. Thank you. Thank you. I've been trying to say this this entire time. We've been doing this podcast for since 2020, right before the COVID stuff hit. <laughs> and I've been saying that same thing this entire time. All you're doing when you go into vote is legitimizing the state. Well, but how are we going to get our freedoms back? We can vote for more freedom. And this is me picking on the LP. What? Yeah. You have a philosophy of libertarianism. Republicans are supposed to be libertarians, right? No. They're Democrats 2.0. That's all they are. It makes no sense. And then, like, you're on the left coast. I'm on the right coast, so to speak. In Tennessee, I live right out of, outside of Memphis. Memphis is super liberal. The rest of Tennessee... Not so much until you get to Nashville. Nashville's pretty liberal, and I don't know if it's because that's where the capital of Tennessee is. I don't know. But I do know that people go insane when it comes to voting. Mm -hmm. They lose their mind. And we've seen it, Paul. We've seen it over the past couple years. And we talked about this on a little bit on our last Zoom call, you know, for the Bad Roman Discussion Group. People have seemed to have gone off the deep end with this stuff. Like they're so involved with it, but they don't know what they're involved with. They're pissed off at their neighbor because their neighbor doesn't agree with them. You know what that is? That's anarchism. Let's just 
let's just live along exactly. with each other voluntarily, even if we don't agree. Exactly. I'm not hurting you. Don't hurt me back. Don't put somebody in power over me. Exactly. I'm not going to put anybody in power over you. I want you to live fruitful lives. I want you to be as happy as you can be. Mm-hmm. But stop telling me that I have to put somebody in power to protect my liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. God created me with that liberty. Jesus Christ set us free, not the United States of America. You know, in my article, I uh, just to touch on a couple of that, I go into sort of a practical analysis of voting, and that's why I try to equate it to gambling. But the reason I vote is not even that. So in other words, someone could say, let's say some of our dear and close friends in the Mises caucus could come and say, hey, well, you know, uh, you know what we're doing would have these other outcomes. And potentially a specific kind of voting. So I don't believe that electoral voting for representatives would have any outcome towards liberty, but there could be other sorts of votings. And and I don't analyze any of that. But even if there could be some potentially good outcomes, because, you know, the large scheme of things, God, our sovereign creator, does work good from even evil. The reason I tend to not vote, and I I have never voted and will never vote, um, is due to a moral analysis of voting. Is exactly what you said. I don't have, I don't think I have the right to uh, dominate my neighbor or to use, apply a sword on my neighbor, especially when they have done nothing wrong. I cannot, just because there's a sword available, I cannot pick it up and use it in whatever small way to coerce them to behave as I want them to behave. So that's a moral case for voting, which I don't even get to in my article. My article, I just say, even if, let's say practically, you were he- really convinced that you could move the needle towards liberty in some, let's say, jury nullification or having an executive like a sheriff out there, it's still a gamble. And, uh, you know, even from that perspective, are, 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 there could be a potentially good outcome, but you're gambling so much away. And do you want to do that? So that's that's where I go in my article. Yeah, It's so interesting to me because I get in so many debates with anarchists when it comes to this because they, they feel like, all right, well, there's something new. I've, I've talked to anarchists. Anarchist air quotes right now. I'm using right now because I don't think some of these folks are anarchists. I think they like the term for two years and then, oh no, something else is coming up. We're going to try and go back and try and work through a political faction to promote liberty, get a message out. I hate that. I hate it when say we have, we're we're doing it to, to spread a message. Start a podcast. Go talk to your neighbor. Go talk to the uh, city council about anarchy. You can do that in, locally without going and promoting the state. It doesn't make any sense. I understand. I understand the idea behind it. It's the same thing I understand when people bring up Lysander Spooner to me. Love the guy. Loved a lot of what he said. But they always want to drop that defensive voting thing. I'm like, okay, maybe. But at the same time, you're still asking permission. Why? Why? Why don't you just walk away? And it's something you ended your article with that is something I've been saying a lot lately. Walk away. You said there's only one solution to civilization, why decay and destruction wrought by this vast addiction to gambling with one's life and liberty. This solution is to peacefully walk away. Walk away from it. And you don't even have to be a Christian to understand this. Christians should really understand this very point that you made at the very end of this article. Peacefully walk away. 
Opt out. Opt out. We're watching this go down right before our eyes. We're watching the empire fall right before our very eyes. Walk away. Yep. We already have a king. <laughs> we already have one. Let's go with that route. Amen. Yeah. And I, I believe, see, that's the only, so that's the only morally consistent thing to do. And it's the only surefire thing. And so, you know, now, of course, there are people who would gamble and sometimes it could result in positive outcomes. Like, you know, my own path was because Ron Paul happened to be in the Republican Party and I, I got the message through there, but there's so much you're gambling away. You know, more often than not, power will corrupt. And more often than not, uh, you're going to lose. Instead of spreading the message of liberty, you're going to grow the state. So, but also at the same time, you know, the, the analogy to gambling has one more application that I didn't actually put in the article. If someone is addicted to, let's say, hard, hardcore drugs or some sort of uh, a really addictive vice, you can't. Sometimes you cannot deprogram that immediately. I mean, that that would be disastrous, right? So you might have to take it in steps. How how do you de- <laughs> come out of your addiction? And so, uh, you know, voting has that sort of almost a dopamine hit type of effect to it. So I tell people, okay, if you must go to the voting booth, try something else. Like you know, take a couple of Larkin Rose or Lazarus Spooner books with you. Hand it out. <laughs> if if you must, uh, or you know, like you said, maybe vote third party at the very least. Or if you must even enter the voting booth and you know pull the lever, uh, talk to people there. There's various sorts of activisms that you can do that correspond with political action that people are taking. Well. I say this a lot too, and and I, I get some flack for it when I say, if you're gonna, if you feel the need to vote, at least vote for a third party. Yeah, yeah. At least vote for something that is aligned with your principles. I'm not encouraging you to vote. I would rather you just stay home and take a nap, <laughs> or go or go home and, or, or or go hang out with your neighbor, have a barbecue, have some have, have some fellowship instead of going and voting. Yeah. But if you feel the need, stop the two party duopoly. Stop it. It's not going to work. Yeah. It's a fallacy at this point. We have to understand that too, that there's the Libertarian Party is never going to take over the political systems of the United States of America. And I'm always really kind of curious about this when I talk to Libertarians about it. They say taxation is theft. I'm like, well, how is your state going to exist without taxation? Even if it's full of Libertarians, are you saying that they're going to end taxation and not have that funding by Tax slaves. That's that's a hard one that they can't even answer to me. I was like, "Are you telling me that you're going to end taxation? How are you going to exist? They exist. The wealth of the state is war. The wealth of the state is taxation and money creation and inflation." Mm-hmm. That's a whole other topic that maybe we can talk about some other time because it's a difficult topic that's not one that has ever been answered to me sufficiently. To be like, all right, okay, let's get some libertarians in office. Yeah, so you know, you know, you know for the sort of from a more, let's say, generous perspective, and as I said, I have a lot of friends in the Mises Caucus, and what I this is sort of my generous take on all of this, and I support them as people and their activities. Uh, so I say, you know, if Dave Smith ever becomes president, then we wouldn't need a president anymore. In other words, we we can end the president if people are awake enough to understand that uh, political domination is wrong, then you know, we wouldn't need him or anyone to be president. That would be the end of the office. So more practically, if there's going to be a president, it's not going to be him. <laughs> that, that, that's one take. But uh, you know, what, as more of a positive spin is, 
in this process of organizing and meeting each other and sort of sharing that camaraderie and joyfulness with people who see it, uh, they do get the message uh, across in a more unified, consistent way. So the messaging part is there, and that is good. But uh, I think they need to go in eyes wide open. And it's not for all kinds of people. Like, I couldn't do it uh, because I, you know, I, I see my life and my energy and time is limited. And I, 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 I see myself as being able to do much more good outside the political process where I can be morally consistent with my beliefs. There, there it is right there. I had somebody at work the other day tell me, and I always feel like I'm repeating myself on this podcast because when I do it, it's because I think there's somebody new maybe listening. But in break room work, there's Fox News. <laughs> and we're talking about some of this stuff going on, right? And this guy looked at me and he goes, I think you should run for something. I was like, no. <laughs> Why? And you mentioned Ron Paul earlier. I said, you cannot change the mafia from the inside out. I don't care how hard you try. If anybody was going to do it, it was going to be Ron Paul. And I was not on board with Ron Paul when, he, when I was a Republican in 2008 when Mitt Romney was running for the Republican ticket, right? <laughs> I was booing Ron Paul off the stage. And then when Barack Obama was nominated, I was like, well, here he goes. Jesus is coming back now. He's not going to put up with this. Barack Obama's the Antichrist. <laughs> That was my mentality. But I, le- I learned very quickly that you cannot change the mafia from the inside out. And Ron Paul, if, if anybody was going to do it, it was going to be Ron Paul. And when this guy said, you should run for something, I was going to in Arkansas. Got a new job in Tennessee. Got me out of that garbage because the Arkansas government is one of the most corrupt in this country that people don't <laughs> even realize. Yeah. So, you know, you, you can definitely not change the mafia from within, because the point of the mafia is to be the mafia. However, what I think the kind of thing that Ron Paul did was to change people who are outside the mafia by pretending to be a, a someone inside, not necessarily inside the mafia, but inside the buildings that the mafia owns and operates. So I think the most pivotal mo- moment for a lot of Republic, liberty-oriented Republicans taking that leap was not Ron Paul schooling the left or any anything like that, and, and not even his end the Fed mo- uh, you know, movement, but the fact that he schooled Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> and so that opened a lot of eyes. So, you know, I, and I call this the beneficials, let's say, by chance and by providence, by, by divine providence. Sometimes God uses the po- people in the political process to awaken people generally to the truth. Uh, but again, why take this risk when there is a more straightforward path of obeying our Lord and King Jesus Christ? There it is right there. And I think that's what we should focus on as Christians. You know, a lot of secular anarchists are going to do what they're going to do. Whatever. Have a ball. Have a ball. I don't care. But as Christians, this is where I, this is why, so to speak, lay down the law. This is it right here. We're Christians. No king but Christ. Why do you think you can change this through the government when Jesus was tempted by this authority by Satan, who he did not say, no, you don't have this authority. He said, no, I'm good. <laughs> why, why aren't Christians saying, no, I'm good? Oh, yeah. It's fear, man. It is so, it, it's fear. And I I don't really um, point this podcast towards secular anarchists. The whole reason with this started is because I got frustrated with Christians. And the longer this has gone on, <laughs> I become more frustrated with Christians. What are you doing? What are you doing? You claim you claim Jesus is your king. Where are you at? 
Well, I'm running back to the pole to because I need some liberty. I need to protect my liberty. I'm running back to Pilate and Caesar because they they promised me that well, if I come begging, maybe I'll let them, you know, uh, enjoy a little bit of their fishing produce. <laughs> <happy. Yeah. laughs> doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at this point. And if you really dive into like early church writings, this is what hooked me. Right. This is where I was like, all right, this is the real deal right here. When you really get into early church writings, when it comes to the Roman Empire, they had no interest in it. Tertullian said, "It's the affairs of state is, is foreign to us. Yep. It was foreign to them. Why is it not foreign to us? We're so ingrained with the state these days as Christians, and it doesn't make any sense. They literally practiced or understood the kingdom of God and Christ to be a kingdom. With the only difference being their king did not use a sword against Caesar and Pilate. Therefore, they don't use a sword against Caesar and Pilate. They, they, they expand the kingdom through love and charity and service. And where were they working? On the outside, on the fringes of society. Exactly. They weren't working within the system. They were working on the outside, helping those in need. That's what I mentioned earlier where Christian anarchism answers these questions that secular anarchism cannot. It's answered through the teachings of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It's right there. And it's anarchy. Before we got on, I was trying to watch, I was watching some of this new uh, anarchist uh, documentary on HBO. Mm -hmm. At the very beginning, I'm going to go back and watch it because it's being recorded. Anyway, the very beginning, this guy talked about Jesus being an anarchist. They don't focus on that's one thing that I think is missing from this whole documentary is is Christian anarchist mm -hmm. because we we're, we're we're alive and well we're doing this on purpose because we have a king y'all can behave and act how you want to it's whatever but he did mention that I was like come on more 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 why aren't you having Christian anarchists on your stage in anarcho poco why yeah that's 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 disappointing to me because that we're we're out there. And we're your ally. We're just not going to participate in a lot of your garbage either. So. <laughs> so I want to end here. I want to keep you too long, but I'm going to read this last paragraph again in your article because I love it so much. There is only one solution to the civilization, wide decay and destruction wrought by this vast addiction to gambling with one's life and liberty. This solution is to peacefully walk away. Every person must choose to do that for himself or herself. That is the beginning of the healing of the world. That very last sentence, man, the very last sentence right there. That is the beginning of the healing of this world. If we could get back to that, this is how we see change. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. How do we heal the world? Right there. What Paul just said in his article. I love this article so much. Thank you, Greg. And I'm really thankful that you took the time to speak with me because this is your first podcast, <laughs> which is still surprising to me. And I can I can I ask you before I let you go, what made you want or or agree to come on to the show to talk about this? What what is not for my own edification, but I, it, my curiosity? Because if if anybody has been trying to get you on the show and you did not. Admit it, you know, agree to it, and then all of a sudden you just agree to come on the Bad Roman podcast. I'm really kind of curious what I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. 
Yeah, so I resisted uh, podcast invites because, you know, I'm more old school, as I said. Uh, I like writing and reaching people that are writing. You know, you, you, you're the, the Bad Roman Project and you, you are you're doing a good work out there uh, in sort of opening up a lot of avenues of unexpected conversation around the topics that do matter. And so uh, it's for that reason, I, you know, if, if my voice uh, can help with this process and, and, and open, open up people to new ways of thinking, thinking about, especially about what is the gospel and what does it mean when we say Jesus is king? Uh, in the, in a, I'm, all, I'm all for that. And so I've, I've recently opened myself up to sort of collaborating, cooperating with whoever and in, 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 in different avenues that I never thought I would be on. <laughs> so thank you again. No, I'm so thankful that you are here because folks, if y'all are not familiar, we have a, we have a private discussion group on Facebook, the Bad Roman Discussion Group. And once a month we do Zoom meetings with anybody that wants to be involved. And Paul has been involved with these. And like I said, it, it's so fun to get to talk to him like this because he seems a little docile in these conversations. You get him online and he's poking the bear. And it's so fun for me. It, it, it's so fun for me. And a, and a lot of folks that follow what Paul's doing with his work and keep doing it, man. Keep doing the work and tell us where we can find your articles. I mean, because you, you've got, you've got more than this, just this out there to, that you've written. Yeah. So most of my, I, I write it on my personal Facebook page. Uh, I also blog and art, articles like this on my Hive blog. Hive is a blockchain based blogging platform, which is awesome. You should check it out. Um, and then that's linked to on my Facebook page as well. Yes. Go check out his writings. And if you're not friends with Paul on Facebook, go friend him. Let's, let's fill his friend list up with 5,000 people because <laughs> y'all need to hear this guy. Y'all need to hear what he has to say. He's, Paul, you're an advocate for liberty. You're an advocate for truth, advocate for honesty. You're an advocate for the kingdom of God. You're an advocate for Jesus, no king but Christ. And I love you, dude. And I, I'm so thankful that we found each other somewhere along the way in these uh, interwebs. To I can uh, read some Paul Facebook posts. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is going to upset some folks. I'm going to share this one here. This is going to upset some folks. This is, and it's not because I want to upset people. Well, maybe I do want to upset some folks because at the same time, it gets people thinking. And that's all we want is people thinking. It's really kind words. Thank you again for your encouragement uh, through this as well as, you know, in the past. So thank you so much, Craig. Yes, sir. I will talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. <laughs>